welcome to Crossing Darkness, a podcast about the role-playing game set in the world of darkness and other tabletop games. We are uh, broadcasting over Twitch every Sunday, 7 p.m. Central Time, and are open to chatting with the fans during the show. Um, this is Season 3, Episode 2, Vampire the Masquerade. Um, I'm your host, Frozen Fallout, and my co-host is Motor Rory, who helped me create this podcast, as well as the 40-person, four-tabletop, um, four-table Gen Con event that we ran, um, featuring Mage the Ascension, Werewolf the Apocalypse, Hunter the Reckoning, and Vampire the Masquerade. Um, how you doing uh, this week, uh, Motor Rory? I'm pretty good. Just uh, this is the end of our Christmas vacation here during the times of COVID. So uh, like many people, I stayed at home, which was quite nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't uh, do much at all either this uh, this holiday kind of stayed in and watched some sh- movies and shows and stuff and kind of relaxed. Yeah. Did your uh, did your family get together? Um, yep. There was a there was a family get together. Are they all going to die? I, I don't think so. <laughs> Hope not. Yeah, nobody in my family traveled. It was... Uh, I liked it. Yeah. That's that's uh, it's always nice. Um, so, uh, yeah, so this week we're going to be talking about uh, Vampire the Masquerade. So I guess the, the first, you know, main question is... You know, what is Vampire the Masquerade? Um, so this was a game line that was made in the uh, early 90s um, by White Wolf. Um, it's one of their main debut uh, game lines. And um, if you've you know listened to our podcast before, you probably have heard us talk definitely about uh, Vampire the Masquerade. Um, but some people like uh, Mike... Uh, has heard about it, you know, has talked about it quite a bit, um, but uh, you would say that you're not really an expert. Um, is that correct? Uh, not even close, yeah. Um, I've never played Vampire except in, I think, a couple of the LARPs that uh, that we did at, at your house, actually. Um, and I'm vaguely familiar with it, obviously having read as much as I have about World of Darkness. Um, probably know more about the Cain mythos than I do about the clans. Um, so, and so actually, um, and that that's actually one thing that I wanted to bring up, is uh, one, of, one of the memories that I have of when we started planning for Madison Under Siege. Uh, there was a time when I was over at your house, uh, your apartment, and uh, you literally went through all the clans with me because uh, I had never actually read anything on Vampire. And uh, I think that's what we're going to do right now. Um, yeah. Go through the clans, right? Yeah. Uh, um, before... before we do that, what's, uh, what's your general explanation as to what a vampire player does during a game? Just well, to kind of that... put the, context, the clans in context. Yeah, so I think that yeah, the general game line itself. Um, and actually, I was going to ask you this: what is what is your from somebody is kind of uh, you know wouldn't say that they're an expert, but is kind of 
seen World of Darkness and you know played a lot of a lot of World of Darkness, but uh, hasn't done a lot of Vampire. Really, what's your point of view on uh, Vampire? Like, what's uh, what's your take on it? Like a, a quick little. Yeah. Um, so, like anything else, it's it's about stories of people struggling against uh, other individuals and forces. But in this context, it's it's usually you've either recently become a vampire or you create the backstory of a vampire that's existed. Uh, and in general, it's uh, avoiding fire and the sun. Uh, it's feeding. Uh, so there's there's some uh, storytelling around that. Uh, and then after that, it's negotiating the... Or, sorry, navigating the internal politics of the vampire world. Uh, and then on top of that, maintaining the masquerade seems to be uh, a main part of the game. Uh, so keeping your activities secret while struggling to be on top. Uh, and what's the, what's the idea? It's, vampires just want to survive. And so most of the political machinations inside the vampire world are all about making it easier for your character to survive by uh, gaining allies, um, resources, safe spaces, um, servants. Right. It's, it's about being part of the whole yeah. Camarilla and everything, you know, the, the reason for the masquerade. Um, I would say along alongside with the the drive for survival is there is uh, to a certain degree a, a drive for power and um, control to a certain degree um, and which kind of goes back to survival the more power you have the more control you have um, the more likely that you're able to survive you know, hundreds and hundreds of years, um, you know, when you're not just thinking about things in a, you know, 50 year time span or a hundred year time span for, for what we have in our lifetimes. Um, you know, these creatures have to exist and think about existing for hundreds and possibly thousands, you know, and beyond years, you know, to their hope if forever. Um, and so, yeah, um, definitely, I think that kind of sums up Vampire the Masquerade, though, very well, is that it is a very political, um, you know, it's a very roleplay-centric game. Um, there there are a lot of mechanics to the game itself, um, but the mechanics I find to be extremely simple. It's not until you get into, like, disciplines and the powers of each of the different um, vampires and what kind of different things you're able to do. Um that you can get into some kind of complications, but unlike Mage the Ascension and a lot of the other games, um, even Werewolf kind of gets, uh, you know, a little bit uh, complicated with the way that they have their powers. Uh, Vampire is really straightforward, pr really simplistic, um, and pretty easy to know a lot of the powers offhand and kind of memorize them pretty quickly, especially things like Fortitude, Celerity, potence um these are your your main three physical disciplines because it's you know one point in potence gives you the ability to well so th that's some of the interesting things they've kind of changed it up over the years and i believe now 
it gives you extra dice and not just automatic successes. Um, and you're talking about V5? Yeah, V5 and even the 20th Anniversary Edition. Um, but then you've got like Fortitude that just gives you extra soak dice um, against Aggravated and all other you know, kind of things. Celerity gives you extra actions. Um, and these things are pretty simplistic. Once you, once you've got down exactly what system you're going to be using, which I'm, I'm, I'm very third edition with Vampire the Masquerade with maybe a little bit of mix of Dark Ages. Um, because, uh, you know, I just do the, I, I, I know potent as, potence as being one extra dot of automatic success on any kind of strength check. Fortitude is, you know, can just soak aggravated and other damage in this extra soak dice. And then the um, Celerity gives you extra actions. Um, however, I, I prefer the Dark Ages version of uh, Celerity, which forces you to spend a blood point for every action you're taking instead of just one blood point in order to do uh, all of your Celerity. So if you have five in Celerity in third edition, you could take five actions by spending one blood point um yeah which was you know it's pretty crazy when you're talking about multiple turns in a combat um and somebody getting you know in three turns they get 15 it's, it's pretty nice it's, <laughs> uh... <laughs> yeah um, i know it gets pretty pretty complicated in in vampire but yeah, the the simplicity of it though is is the beautiful part because it allows you to focus on storytelling for the most part um it lends very very strongly into larp and you know it's it's helped boast bolster the larping community um and it's something that um you know has really lended itself to a story driven role-playing game rather than a mechanical combat oriented um role-playing game like dungeons and dragons is more mechanics and having um, a map um, and I always found it really interesting because when I got into Dungeons and Dragons I had come from Vampire the Masquerade actually and the first game that I had played um, was Dungeons and Dragons but we'd, we'd went over and played Vampire the Masquerade immediately after that and it was still set in this kind of concept like we he was playing Vampire the Masquerade to a certain degree. For example, we didn't have a Chessex map or a, a, a board or anything for you to kind of see where your characters were when we were playing the Dungeons & Dragons game. And when I played Dungeons & Dragons and Vampire the Masquerade for a long time, I never used a map. We just imagined where yeah. our characters would be. Um and Dungeons and Dragons lends itself very strongly to the concept that you should absolutely have a map on the board to show you exactly where you are so you can do exactly the things that need to be done. Um, but Vampire the Masquerade absolutely has no concept of having a map for you to, you know, a, a tile-based map system for you to move on. Yeah. There, there are actually a lot of role-playing games that have basically said, like, it's probably not a good idea to use a map in combat situations uh, just because there aren't really solid rules for uh, you know, movement in combat and flanking and all that. I mean, D&D &D 
the combat rules are basically a mini game, but it's a big part of the game. It's it's the way you progress, and every setting that D and D has is the adventurer style, going into places and fighting things. Whereas World of Darkness is very much not that. Uh, it's at least as far as it's going to places and I've talking to people. And and there is there I I have played some very combat heavy um, and um, hack and slash power gaming with Vampire the Masquerade that like lend itself very strongly to the power great gaming of uh, Dungeons and Dragons, but it was on a, a more epic kind of uh, you know you didn't get into the nitty gritty of combat. You kind of, uh, well you did get into the nitty gritty of combat, but I have to say that Vampire actually, as much as it would think you would think that the system that it has would lend itself then to really easy combat, smooth combat, and it actually has a very there's a lot of roles. Um, we talked about this with uh, Rick Hines um, on our last podcast, but there's some you know there's a lot of roles that go into just achieving one concept of how much damage is done to somebody in a turn. Um, you know, you got to roll to hit, you have to roll to dodge, you have to roll for damage, and you have to resolve all these things in a, in a weird way, because you start off by saying, um, whoever lost initiative declares what they are doing first. And then you go all the yeah, way up. Yeah, doing it the right one. Yep, and so you go all the way up to the, to the... And it makes sense. It's an interesting concept, because you get to hear what everybody is doing and decide on what you want to do based on that information. Um, and then you go back through and the person that wins initiative gets to declare last and then gets to do their action first. And, and then you go back down through and you can change your action from being like, I was going to shoot this guy, but somebody's going to shoot me now. So I'm going to dodge. So it gets extremely complicated. Um, for what could yeah, be gets, extremely simple when you have such a... It gets relatively complicated uh, compared to some other systems. But I'm sure everybody's had this kind of... Uh, anybody who's played a decent amount of role-playing games, especially ones with uh, lots of combat, uh, you, at some point in your experience, you're going to say to yourself, that's not very realistic. All you would need to do is add this mechanic to make it more realistic. But then you realize there are tons of systems out there that people have come up with for combat in RPGs that are more realistic. And there's a reason we don't use them. Uh, you know, I've been watching a lot of actual play D&D and the way that 5e is currently set up is pretty good. Uh, I think the only deficiency that it has is there's no uh, there's no provision for um, uh, cooperative action as much as there should be, uh, and I'm sure D and D podcasters could debate the shit out of that for hours. Um, but we're talking about vampire, so. Uh, do you want to get into the clans, or do you want to talk about vampire combat? 
Um, let's talk about uh, the clans here, yeah, because uh, vampire combat is pretty much similar to the rest of the World of Darkness combat in general, and we've kind of covered that a few times. Um, so I think in general, though, one of the things that kind of lends itself to an interesting thing for Vampire the Masquerade is that you're born into a clan, um, so somebody, you know, somebody sires you. You've lived a normal human life, and um, a vampire at some point in time decided, I'm going to turn this person into a vampire. Um, and one of the first things you do in character creation, um, you know, is you decide what kind of human you are. And then once you've decided what human you are, you decide what clan would best suit me. What is the clans that would want to um, recruit this human? Um, because if you're like a country bumpkin kind of person that has no formal education, has no nobility in their blood, has no drive to be a successful person and just kind of wants to be, you know, the farmhand for the rest of their life, uh, the likelihood of you being recruited by a Ventru, um, which is the, the hierarchy, um, the nobles, the, the, the princes, um, which is their term for the leaders. Um, it's interesting. I always found it interesting that they, they never wanted to be kings. They're just princes, you know. <laughs> Um, there's, there's I'm no... sure it's somewhere in the lore as to why it's it's done like that. I never, I never think I've in all my years I've never found a, a solid thing that makes me understand. I mean, if I had to speculate, if I had to speculate, it's because Cain is king or Enoch is king, and you can never be king because they are like the eternal king. Like it's yeah, I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. Um, I mean there there. Cain was not really around during the, a lot of the times when people started calling themselves princes. I think it was more of the third generation. But yeah, basically there was there was always somebody bigger than you. Um, for the princes were definitely not the kings of the land for sure. Um, but but that lends itself to you know kind of interesting kind of things. So you have to kind of look at these different kind of groups that exist within. Um, the world of darkness and vampire the masquerade and each one of them has their own interest intricacies and their um they have weaknesses and they have different kind of um powers um is very you know unique to each one um some of them cross over here and there but each one has its own um you know at, at the very least its own mastery of over a discipline um and basically, um, you know, if you are this country bumpkin person, though, you could get recruited still as being, it's like, well, okay, so then I can't be a vampire because, I mean, who would want to be, who would want to, you know, embrace some kind of country bumpkin guy that just wants to be a farmhand for the rest of their life? Well, there's the gangrel, you know, animal-loving, you know, untamed, bestial kind of vampires that hang out in the uh the woods more than anything and interact with or fight with uh werewolves quite a bit um might have a very big interest in in you for whatever reason whether it's a love interest whether it just is you know they're they're looking for companionship and they feel like you would be suited to that um there's a plenty there's a lot of reasons why somebody would turn somebody into a vampire um, but a lot of it kind of does come back to loneliness and wanting to become a you know a father or a 
um, a parental figure basically over somebody. Um, the one thing yeah, I was and, and some, sometimes it gets it goes back to that. Uh, in order to survive longer, sometimes you need people that are in your thrall, and uh, a childer, which is what you call it when you sire someone, uh, is could be that person. Right. Or vampire. Right. Absolutely. Uh, anyway, should we should we just go through the clans real quick so we can get to the debate? Yep. So um, the main clans that you have here are um, the. So there's. I'm just going to kind of go through the clans here, and then I'm going to kind of talk about the different factions that there are, um, which comprises of these clans. Um, so we've got the Asamites are um, the basically um, they're an independent group. They're the silent masters of assassin and are very um i don't know how to say it but it basically like they're very niche <laughs> you know they're they're very uh very assassin oriented kind of group uh they're middle eastern um and they they did expand upon them throughout the years um but i never really got too deep into a lot of the the Asimite lore um, to be honest, um, but there is quite a bit of Asimite lore out there that gets much deeper than them being just your assassins, and and they do a lot with blood magic as well. Um, so they're one of the the groups that has thaumaturgy um, at their access, which is a um, power that basically gets you to the level of mages uh, and being able to do almost anything with your powers. Um, the next clan is the Bruja, um, which are your kind of philosopher kings, um, as well as, well, they used to be the philosopher kings. They're now more re rebels and rogues. Um, you know, they're very passion driven. Um, these are your motorcycle gang. Um, you know, I, I could see the mafia to a certain degree, um, being a big part of these groups um, but a lot of the criminal organizations and stuff like that but still have um, a lot of rebel uh, concepts that kind of go behind them so I kind of see the mafia as more of the you know during the prohibition and stuff I would see that the Bruja would have been deeply involved in uh, the running of um, alcohol throughout all of the United States Hmm. I would have thought that Nosferatu, but uh, but yeah, Bruja. I always remember that because uh, of the word bruiser. It's like uh, Bruja are the tanks, the the fighters. Yep. Uh, they're uh, they're potents, right? Yep. Fisticuffed melee. Um, they're really people that you don't want to get within their reach. Usually, um, yeah. I mean each each individual is an individual, but in general, the Bruja clan is well known for their ability to punch your face in. Yeah, I think if if I remember correctly, it's you know there, there's always the person in the group who's like, okay, I don't want to really have to think too hard while I'm gaming, so I just want to be the the dumb guy who punches things. And I'm I'm pretty sure Bruja is who you take in that case. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's Clan Gangrel, which are your more bestial, and we talked about them a little bit before. Um, you know, they're more out in the woods. Um, they 
there are some city gangrel to a certain degree, but they're very much, you know, inside of parks and stuff like that. They're not going to be hanging out um, usually inside of, you know, a city unless there's some kind of nature area um, or animal um, that, you know, I could see them hanging... The, the Nosferatu are well known for being in the sewers, but the Gangrel I could see being hanging out in the sewers as well. Um, although I would say... Yeah, that... if, I, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, uh, uh, Gangrel are possibly aquatic vampires in certain cases. Yes. Yep. Um, they, there's... So um, we kind of haven't talked about uh, the curses, and I should actually probably bring that back or reel it back real quick. So the Asimite, their curse, um, they had two curses that happened to them. One was bestowed on them by Cain, supposedly, and that was the the curse of uh, Diablery. Um, basically, like once they start trying to like once they drink the blood of a vampire, they are like consumed with the the idea of diablerizing the person um later on that was changed to um by the tremere used a huge thaumaturgical blood ritual to um basically make it so that they can't diablerize anymore um and, and what is diablerie um so diablerie is basically the uh taking the soul of some of a, of another vampire specifically another vampire and standardly it's seen as being somebody of a lower generation than you but there's a lot of arguments of whether you could do it to somebody of a higher generation it just wouldn't benefit you in in the way but it's the it's the mechanic way of lowering when you say lower generation when you say lower generation you mean a more powerful vampire right so the first generation is cain and then you have second generation which is like enoch and two others and then you've got uh, the 13 clans, which are what we're talking about here. And they're the third generation yeah. that created each one of these clans. And you go you know, back from there all the way to where we are here, to where we're at about uh, in, you know, in the 19th, uh, or in 1990s, there's between, you know, you're at about 15th generation is about the farthest that you're able to go all the way down. And it seems to get really thin your your blood gets thin and you're not able to access all of the powers that all of the other vampires are able to. Um, but most people play within the 8th generation to 13th generation, which gives you access to the majority of the powers, and anything lower than that gets you start being, you start becoming more inhuman. Um, well, I guess not just inhuman, but more fantastical in your powers, I guess. Um, and this is yeah. the mechanic that allows you to say if you start at 13th generation and you want to become a 6th generation vampire, you can diabolize your way down to a 6th generation vampire. And it's the only way to do that. There's no other way of, of powering yourself up, basically, in the game. And it's completely illegal by the Camarilla. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it's... It's supposed to be this thing that is supposed to never happen. Diablery. But my understanding of vampire games is it happens all the time. Yeah, it seems to be one of those things that uh, definitely happens a lot. Almost every game I've been, there's at least, 
you know, somebody wanting to do Diablery, if not committing it itself. Um, and it's yeah. because it's the only mechanic to go down. Um, so to, to, to bring yourself more power in a, in a way that the game kind of has this locked system, um, which is, I find that I always found that to be interesting. It's something that they changed up in like Requiem, where they made it so that you could spend experience points, and it's something that got more powerful. Your your blood potency went up, and basically gave you more power as you as you got older. And then as you slept, it got weaker, and you you know bounced back and forth on your blood potency. Um, whereas Vampire the Masquerade was a very this is all generational and has to do with consuming souls. And if you want to get more powerful, consuming souls is extremely dangerous. Um, you know, there's major characters that have been screwed over by by Diablerie, um, according to the lore history of Vampire the Masquerade. Um, so it's something that I, I feel like people that play Vampire the Masquerade and are obsessed with Diablerie, a lot of the people I've run into don't really understand the mechanics behind it besides that it gets them lower generation. And that, that super excites them, and that's all that they really care about. And any consequences that they hear for that, they're like, ah, there's got to be ways around those. You know, it's, I mean, that's how it would work in the vampire society, though. So, Yeah, <laughs> that's true. um so the the bruja are very inclined to go into what is called a frenzy basically every vampire has a beast inside of them that they have to quell it makes them drink blood and it makes them frenzy and kill things and it also makes them run like a scared little pussycat um so the this beast inside of the bruja is is even more um, likely to come out and it is you know reflected in the mechanic that there's a, a frenzy role that you make and bruja have a higher, higher difficulty on trying to stop a frenzy from happening um, and this is, this brings us back to the gangrel which i always found was an interesting flaw for them was that as every time they frenzy they start becoming more animalistic they might um, you know start growing more fur they might or might you know more hair that becomes more furish. They might always have claws out um, if they have the protean ability for claws, um, or if they don't, they just have claws that are not um, aggravated damage. But they have, you know, their fingernails and stuff might become more clawish. They might, you know, get canines instead of, um, you know, the teeth that we have, um, and it can, it can you know, kind of bloom from there where they kind of become more of a were-beast um, than they are. And they can be of any type. This is, doesn't need to be werewolf or wolf. You know, it can be fish. You know, it can be um, lizard. Yeah, it can turn into a lot of stuff. And from my understanding, you're not necessarily restricted to having just one animalistic type uh, that you're... You could have, like, the, the you know, fangs of... a of a wolf but have you know the the webbings of a of a frog on your hands and stuff like that that might make you yeah a little and bit that's more... that's from the the protean power um no that would be just from frenzying in general no the the animal stuff no the animal stuff is from frenzying in general it's their flaw 
So but, every... uh, can't you use the protean power to change in, to change your features into animal stuff? Um, not not so broadly. Um, there it's very specific. You can turn yourself into an animal. Um, you can. There's some uh, deviations, but you can't just turn like a part of yourself into an animal or something like that. Um, oh, okay. But you can, but you can become. Usually, you pick two animals: a flight animal, or a water animal, and a land animal. Um, possibly a, a water and an air animal, but a lot of people play on land, so you'd pick a like a land care. But yeah, as you power up, you do have the ability to grow claws. So the the powers are basically for Protean. You have red eyes, which allow you to see in the dark. You have claws at level two that allow you to do aggravated damage with your um, claws. At level three, you're able to turn into a wolf or a bat um, is the base for it, but you can kind of change those up. Um, level four is you're able, and I might be switching these up, but it's it's either you're able to go into the ground or it's the mist one. Um, so you're able to turn into mist or you're able to, to seep into the ground. And then level five, I, th I think level five is the ability to turn into mist. And the level f uh, four is the ability to seep into the earth. And just so you can be out in the middle of the woods and it's just about to be daytime and you just seep into the ground and you're safe. Yeah, I would grab my vampire book if it was near me. I haven't gotten it on the shelf yet. Um, but yeah, so the um, so the next one on our list is the Cappadocian, as uh, otherwise known as the Clan Giovanni, and these are your necromancers. Um, and they're uh, the main one that people will be playing would be the Giovanni, um, which would be the um, these are these are very Italian mafia, but very necromancy, necrophilia, crazy, crazy, crazy incestual family stuff. It's a it's one it's a clan that's one big family more than it is a a clan of vampires of all different you know walks of life and stuff like that. Like different, it it really is heretical <laughs> in in clan giovanni um and their flaw is that they hurt people when they give them the kiss um when they draw blood from them otherwise known as the kiss it actually hurts the person drawing from them normally the kiss would give you the most intense orgasm you've ever had in your entire life uh, they give you the most excruciating pain that they had ever that you've ever experienced in your entire life um, from being drawn from them, um, which also makes it so that it's it's easier for them to find you know either kill the person that they're drawing blood from and cover it up, or for them to you know have somebody that trusts them, <laughs> and and will allow them to do this either through use of powers or other things. Um, but yeah, you're 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 not going to be able to go into a nightclub and just start sucking off of some chick. Yeah, which uh, it might explain why uh, it's family, right? Because they probably feed off of their own family with the um, the promise of in the future becoming a vampire. 
And right. so the pain is worth it. And uh, so the next one that we have is um, the Lasambra, which are your um, nobles of the Sabbat, basically. Um, they, they're they very much like the Venturu, um, which we'll get into in a little bit here. Um, and they are very, but they're very religious oriented. Um, and they also have this obsession with the abyss. Um, and they control the the enemy faction to the Camarilla, basically the Sabbat that are basically the they don't believe in the the masquerade as much as they believe that they should be ruling over humans um, rather than hiding from them. Um, however, they enact their own level of masquerade for as everybody you know as we talked about since the beginning of this, it's all about survival. So they know not to piss off. You know, to, it's not like they're just coming out and being like, vampires are real, we're here to conquer you. Um, they're trying to do their own way of, of controlling the thing, but they don't believe in the rules of the masquerade or and have broken from um, and never were part of the Camarilla. Yeah, they're, they're basically like the Ventru, but they just don't care about the masquerade as much. And they are extremely, I mean, the, the very, you know, from the outside, I would say they're very Ventru-like. Um, once you get inside of them, they're extremely different from the Ventru because of their abyss and religious um, connections that they have. Um, the next clan, which I always found to be a really interesting one, was the Clan of Madness, which is the Malkavians. Um, and I always found their their antediluvian story to be really interesting because... Um, it's it's possible that he becomes the madness network, and it's it, one of the the concepts behind what happens to their antediluvian is that he just becomes madness inside of all um, Melkavians and allows them to communicate with each other. Yeah, the so-called milk time. Yep. Uh, but the 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 main thing about the Melkavians is they're all insane. Other than that, it you can go anywhere with them. Um, the Melkavians kind of can represent anything and everything um, and can come from all different walks of life, but the main thing is is that they're insane. Um, but uh, if, 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 you, if you have my point of view on the world, I would say that a good chunk of people are pretty insane anyways, so it's not hard for Melkavian to find anybody in any walk of life <laughs> to become a Melkavian. Um, the next one is the followers of Set, um, which I always found to be very... Um, I like to use them as the bad guys in my games um, because they are the corruption, the you know, the the followers of this corruption god and this belief that their you know god is going to come back one day and rule. They also believe like he's a second generation and not a third generation. Um, you know, there's all this other kind of like, um, but they're they're an Egyptian uh, focused. Um, clan basically with a lot of corruption and death culty kind of stuff going on can you hear me yep 
Did I lose you yeah, there? Sorry, my phone did a thing. No. Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's just get get through the rest of them. Yep. Uh, so then we've got uh, Clan Nosferatu, which are the hideous uh, information gatherers that live in the sewers. Um, the Clan Ravenos, which I always found to be interesting in the sense that uh, <laughs> they did a horrible job of making them. <laughs> it's uh, they're they're stereotyped as being the um, gypsies, basically. Oh yeah. Um, and they kind of killed them off uh, in third edition. There's only like a hundred or something like that left after third edition because that uh, third that antediluvian rose and kicks off like the beginning of the end of the world with uh, rising and getting destroyed by the Tremere, you know, Quasian, um, Kindred of the East, and um, other vampires and other things. You know, it's just like this huge, you know, th you know, event that kind of happens. And after he dies, or just before he dies, he curses his clan to, to make every, all of his clan try and attack each other and kill each other. And it works for the most part. Um, and then he Is does... His, what is what is their weakness? Um, their weakness... Um, what was their weakness? I want to say it's something like they have to steal or do something. Okay, that's a little racist. Yeah, it's something pretty bad. Weakness, classic. Uh, the Ravenos clan are all criminals. Each Ravenos has a specific vice rating, ranging from... Uh, mass murder to, you know, uh, just stabbing somebody, <laughs> you know, or, you know, just uh, robbing people, stuff like that. Yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> uh, looks like 20th anniversary tried to uh, back away from that. Yeah, they, they tried fixing stereotyped... Um, their compulsion can range from uh, beneficial ones, like uh, benefiting innocents or donating to the poor. So they can they don't have to be criminals. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just their fifth edition changed changed it up completely. It looks like uh, they get doomed. Yeah. Um, and uh, all right, so let's see here. Um, the next is the Toreador clan, which is the uh, artsy-fartsy um, kind of uh, group that's... Uh, their, their flaw is they get mesmerized by things. It's always the, the running joke that the, the Toreador is the one that's just going to be standing out in the middle, you know, watching the sunrise come up and, and burning her alive because it's so beautiful. Um, yeah, I think Toreador was... You know, my favorite of all of them, just because I get the impression that, like, a lot of art is created because Toreadors just need something to do. <laughs> and so they fund a lot of things. So, yeah, they, they so it was part of the... like a beneficial to society vampire group, actually. I mean, although they are, yeah. there's a lot of crazy ones. So, 
Yeah, I I had an unnamed Toriador tied to one of my uh, hunter characters because she was a dancer. Oh yeah. Yep. Um, and so moving on, we've got uh, the Tremere, um, which are the um, sorcerer vampires that come from Mage the Ascension. Actually, they are House Tremere, a group of mages who. Um, foresaw the weakening of magic in the world and the coming of the um, technocracy, you know, controlling the paradigm, basically, and they wanted to find a way to uh, make themselves immortal. So they created um, a serum out of uh, vampires' bloods that they got from the Gangrel and the Zemisi, I believe. And they said, hey, this is going to make you all immortal. It'll give you all the powers of a vampire, and you're going to stay a mage. We're, we're going to do this ritual, and this is going to make us all powerful beings, basically. The, a new thing. A combination of the vampire and mage. And it turned them all into vampires, because <laughs> they couldn't do it for real, and they tricked all of their members into doing this, from my understanding. Um, but once they were vampires, they were vampires, and they were like, okay, well, what do we do now? And the leader, Tremere, had this great idea. Why don't I just go Diablerize a third generation? And then I'll become <laughs> a third generation. So he goes and Diablerizes third generation. And for the next, like, thousand years, he fights a battle of the souls with this thing. And according to most lore, he fails. Um... It's possible he might have won, or he might have tricked, or he might have got out a long time ago. Um, <laughs> some some of the things I heard was that he, uh, like, as soon as he diabolized, almost the moment that he diabolized, he left that body. Like, he either got kicked out immediately, or he just was like, oh, fuck, what did I do? And just jumped out and jumped into um, what eventually became the leader of the, um, the anti-tribute. Tremere who joined the Sabbat and we're trying to um, join you know the uh, you know trying to fight the Tremere that uh, that they created basically <laughs> um, yeah and uh, the next one is Clan Zemisi and uh, Clan Zemisi is uh, more of your Russian um old world uh kind of uh vampires um they they hold to a lot of the transylvania kind of uh kind of vampire that uh we're used to although nosferatu also you know represents the nosferatu um that we've heard yeah. in the past but um zemisi have an interesting weakness they always have to keep a a bit of dirt from their homeland around oh that's them Okay. And they're the flesh crafters, and also the other leaders of the Sabbat. Um, they're well known for making monstrous creatures um, and having crazy laboratories. And then last, but of course not least, the Clan Ventru, uh, leaders of the Camarilla, um, you know, leaders nor normally seen as what would be the prince of of a generic city of vampires would be run by 
the Venturu. Um, they're also known for being really good warriors as well. They have Fortitude, um, they have Dominate, and they have Presence. Um, so they're known for being like, not just, uh, they're not necessarily single man combat people, although they can be absolutely, um, but they're really well known for being able to rally a, uh, an army or rally a group to fight and kick ass yeah. for them and to participate with them in the combat. Um, so that gets us through the, oh, the 13 what are, what are, major what's, clans. What's the Ventrue weakness? Because that's a oh, cool one. The Ventrue weakness is the weird one, which is um, they have a specific type of person that they can draw blood from, and that's it. If they Let's say that they're a vampire that will only take blood from virgins. If they're given any other blood, even if they're on their deathbed and they need that blood, that doesn't matter. They're not going to take it. Yeah, I always thought that was a cool weakness because uh, restricting your uh, your feeding pool is very story driven. It's very story driven, <coughs> and I I always found it interesting that um, either I found people do two things with it. One is try and make it a feeding restriction that is not that much of a feeding restriction. So instead of like yeah. bringing your pool from 100% of people that you can drink blood from down to 5%, you make it so that it's you know easily just, okay, I can only feed off of women or I can only feed off of men, um, which you know does cut you know the population in half for you. Uh, but it's very different than somebody who says, I can only drink from virgins. Um, but you can have that spectrum. Yeah. And I've always thought that, like, you could you could kind of take care of that by saying, like, okay, the more that your uh, feeding options are uh, restricted, like, if there's some sort of mechanical offset that you get to uh to make it worth taking that in character creation um i don't know what that would be uh, i'm looking at their weakness right now on the wiki page and i don't see that as a as a thing but anyway but yeah so that's the the 13 main clans um the main thing with vampire the masquerade is you've got the the camarilla and the sabbat um, the camarilla comprises of seven of those major clans, the Tremere, the Ventru, the Gangrel, depending on your timeline, the Gangrel leave, um, and other things kind of happen. But in up to third edition, you've got, uh, um, you know, the Tremere, the Ventru, the Gangrel, the Bruja, the Toreador, the Nosferatu, and the Melkavians. That comprises your... Um, Camarilla, and they're kind of this. We have the masquerade. Um, oh, and also, thank you so much, uh, Jim, for following. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, I didn't see that guy there. Um, but we we also have the Sabat, which is basically the Lasambra and the Zemisi, and then the anti tribute, basically the anti the the. The Ventru who joined the Sabbat, the the Nosferatu who joined the Sabbat, the uh, all the oh, different. Is that what anti tribute is? 
Yes, anti-tribute is the the I joined the Sabbat and I am no longer part of the. Um, okay. Yeah, I never never knew that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, then you've got the uh, independent clans like the Ravenos, the Giovanni, the um, Asimites. Um, these are. Um, I'm missing one, aren't I? What's the last? I think there's four independents. Where am I missing this? Oh. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Giovanni, Asmite, Ravenos. It's Macy. Oh, uh, followers of Set. Yeah, my, one of my oh, faves, okay. actually. Um, so yeah, I don't want to forget about those. Um, oh, awesome. Thank you for cheering for, for 100 bits. That's awesome. Thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> we, have, we both have radio voices. That's cool. Um, but yeah, so basically, um, that's our main kind of setup here um, for for. Vampire the Masquerade, very role-playing driven, very, um, you know, politics kind of driven, and it's kind of driven of the the, uh, the interactions between all these different groups and what they're doing in modern times and how you're initiated into it and kind of brought up. Um, I personally like to play on a more, um, the primogen level with my players. Um, I like to have a much higher level of, of um power for my players to be playing with rather than being brand new you know brand new inductions into the world of darkness um but you know it all depends on your player's skill level that you have to work with but i think even new players can definitely um oh awesome thank yeah. you so yeah. much for subscribing that's awesome dude kick ass um but yeah so i think that the last thing that we were going to do here was um talk about um whether or not a star from another starlight from another sun you know another, another star if you got close enough would it affect a vampire and i'm gonna go straight off here and say no absolutely not it's a curse that's you know, done by a supernatural being, and pretty much I'm going to hold to the kind of concept that really the world of darkness doesn't look outside of our solar system, and it's hard to even say what the other stars are. They would possibly, probably are big balls of light, uh, you know, like that we think, but it's the world's darkness. For all we know, they're all just pin cushions, you know, pinholes in the, the, the tapestry around us. That is what a mysterious mage from another dimension might say. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, so so this is actually a debate that we have had on and off for a long time. And I am on the side that, yes, vampires on... Actually, it doesn't need to be on a planet, but in the proximity of another star uh, would be affected by it in the same way. Uh but before I get to my reasoning behind it, let's speculate on how a vampire 
gets to that place. So obviously it's um, on a technocratic spaceship uh, or through the Technogate and they get transported to another planet. Have you ever heard of anybody running a, a vampire game where that is uh, the case? Absolutely. Where a vampire gets to another? <laughs> yep, I've, I've done it myself. Have? Yeah, I've done it myself a couple of times back in the early days uh, and I had it. Um, one of my one of my first like super power game uh, GMs that we had uh, loved to do world hopping and um, he actually took us through um, somewhat of the the wheel of time series um, he kind of had oh, this no. like uh, you know collaboration of the world of darkness and the wheel of time series and kind of you know ripped us from earth and brought us to another world where we could walk around in the sunlight Oh, so that's so that's probably where you get your idea from is that you were playing a vampire and you were able to do it. Right, I would say I was in, I'm influenced by that, but I'm also saying that because I believe that the the curse is is um I don't know. I mean, I've, okay. I Okay. Well, let me let me uh let me go through some of my reasoning now. Um so We've already established the idea that if, if as a technocrat, if I recreate using only forces, uh, like all of the same intensities of uh, electromagnetic radiation, that does not count as sunlight, correct? For a vampire. So, I mean, um, according to the how do you do that, um, you have to go to some extreme levels of magic to be able to produce sunlight out of nothingness. Um, one of the easiest ways that they say to do it, of course, is correspondence like five, and I think you still need forces or something like that of five or something ridiculous. Um, maybe even it might be down to four, but it's basically you can open a portal that you know, goes from, you know, takes sunlight and shines it in from the sun. Um, but to replicate sunlight all in, in all of its uh, pure intensive purposes is, is a, an extremely high level, definitely level five in like prime forces. And um, I think you just really need prime and forces. Now, see, see, here's where my argument jumps in. You would need spirit. I would say to affect a vampire, I would um, I would agree with that. Okay, so that ties into my argument. Now let me let me read my my thing from here, because from the Book of Nod, uh, after Cain is cursed by God, he is visited by four angels, first by the archangel Michael, who says, you know, hey stop this shit, stop whining, just come back to God's light and we'll, we'll let you be fine. And, and Cain is like, no. And he's like, well then, uh, you're flammable now. Uh, and then Ra Raphael comes. And he's the one that actually curses him with the sunlight thing. Uh, and I'll read that passage real quick. Uh, Raphael cursed me, saying, then for as long as you walk this earth, you and your children will fear the dawn and the sun's rays will seek to burn you like fire wherever you hide always. Hide now, for the sun rises to take its wrath on you. And then he hides and stuff, and then uh, Uriel comes and 
curses him with the only being able to drink blood. Uh, and then there's another one. But that does, doesn't matter. The point of it is the sun's rays will seek to burn you like fire. So that's basically the idea that the sun, when it can see a vampire, says, you are now going to burst into flame, and I'm going to destroy you. So that means that there is a spiritual element to sunlight in terms of vampires and why they're weak to it. Right? Uh, so I'll, I'll just get to the rest of the reasoning. Helios is the Celestine of all stars. Therefore, whatever star you are near, Helios can see you. He will burn the fuck out of you if you're a vampire. Interesting. Now, I think where that breaks down is whether or not you consider Helios to be the Celestine of all stars. He might not be. He might only be the Celestine of our particular sun. See, I always took him as being the Celestial of our sun. Um, but I could see that as being all stars. Um, my question to you then is, is, is what's, what's the distance that it stops burning vampires then? Because obviously there's a distance. Uh, I would put it in orbital mechanics, right? Um, so, so just to test the idea, let's say I could get a vampire to Pluto. Can the sun burn him on, uh, him or her on Pluto? Even though it's, uh, the way they describe it is, uh, it's, the sun is just a particularly bright star as seen from Pluto. Um, well, so this is one of my things about it is that it's it's not necessary. I mean, I I, I want to say that it's more supernatural than it is scientific. Um, my reasoning for this is that um, obviously there's sunlight is is hitting vampires almost all the time. It's just how much sunlight is hitting them. Anytime the moon is out or any kind of uh, you know, unless you're saying that it has to be only in the pitch of night, which is not normally how um, people play. Normally they play that you can, you know, you can still kind of be around sunlight. You can even see sunlight, but as long as you're not in the direct oh. rays of sunlight, you're not affected by it. Um, and that's yeah, where... I'm, yeah, line of sight is my reasoning. Well, it's not even line of sight, because if, if I have a sunlight filling up my room here, and as long as the it's the direct sunlight that, that I'm going to be affected by the, the stuff that you can, you know, you can see the light on the, through the window, you know, amplifying down, that's going to hurt me. The Just the light of the room being around, I, as long as I'm not directly in that sunlight, I'm fine. Yeah, it's direct sunlight. I'm, I'm agreeing. Or yeah, line of sight from Helios's kind of point of view. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then and then the the additional argument is the like if all stars are Helios, then why aren't they burned by uh, starlight? Uh, and my re response to that would be: I think you have to be within the the sphere of influence of a star, which would be uh, the orbital 
uh, space of a star. So, so you like, would say Pluto would be. I would I would say if if you were a vampire on Pluto, and you walked outside, despite the fact that you would not be able to do that even a vampire, uh, and you could see the sun, you would burst into flame. Or if the sun would see you, you would burst into flame. Well, uh, yeah. Yeah, if the sun can see you, if Helios can see you, like it, it doesn't matter. The, the speed of light doesn't matter. Uh, the amount of energy that technocrats would say is hitting you doesn't matter. It's you are in the sphere of influence of that particular incarnate of Helios, and he bursts you into flames. So my my counter argument to, and I, I feel like you've you've laid down a good good solid argument as to why. What, what you believe to be true is, is true. Uh, my, uh, my rebuttal is that the world of darkness is earth-centric with a Judeo-Christian, um, you know, strong concept of the universe surrounds earth and the universe is earth. There is no really, there, there's possibly not even other stars out there depending on how you kind of look at, at oh, yeah. this whole thing. Um, you know, as far as the technocracy is concerned, as far as the game is concerned, they don't talk about extraterrestrial or ex they talk about extraterrestrial, but they don't talk about extrasolar things. Like as soon as you get to the edge of our solar system, you're into the deepest of the dark umbra. And in really, yeah. according I mean, they... to like the mechanics, it kind of wraps it all self all the way back into itself, and you really never get out there. There is no out there. There's really only here. Yeah, and and they try to do it a little bit. I want to say in the Void Engineer books, but that's probably the only one. Mm -hmm. um, Void but Engineer, yeah, everything else uh, is Son of Ether, our I think. solar system. But yeah, yeah Sons of Ether might be it. But yeah, there's there's not a lot um, of of talk about and besides what you know what we believe to be just there's craziness and darkness and evil and other things out there. Now my reasoning is is that if you would get outside of our basically if you would go to another solar system, my belief structure in in the world of darkness is that you would basically entering a, an entirely different universe that would be centric around whatever the hell is happening in that solar system. And vampires would then become subject to the rules and regulations that are dictated by that solar system's universe, basically. I would see each individual solar system as being individual universes rather than seeing them as part of all one universe that, you know, is the world of darkness, basically. I see the world of darkness really yeah. encapsulates just our solar system. Yeah, because I, I keep thinking, like, if vampires could figure out, like, a way to get to another planet where they can now go out in the sunlight and live different lives, like, if that was the case, first of all, would they want to? Uh, which I'm not sure they would. Because uh, they would theoretically still have to feed on blood. Um, of course, if if the curse of Helios is gone, because Helios isn't there then the curse of having to drink blood only might also be gone. Right. Um, that would be... That also argues that all your, all your fucking powers are gone then, too. It's, it's kind of like saying, like, okay, yeah, you can go to another planet and look at the sunrise, but you're probably just going to turn into ash because 
like uh, you violate all the rules. Right, you become oh, yeah. You, you, you probably gain a bunch of paradox because you are <laughs> what normally would be static and norm and accepted amongst uh, the, the the reality and paradox at that time. You know, you walk into it and they're like, "Whoa, we don't accept vampires here." Or maybe they do, though. You know, my one of the things I imagine is that you go to another star and all of a sudden you just find out that it's just really. It's just another Earth, maybe a little bit different, maybe a little bit different cons construction of the the solar system, but uh, yeah, we we just found another Earth, and you just keep on going to each yeah. one. Is but in any case, uh, so I, I just I, keep thinking about. I, I do want to talk about this real quick. Uh, that GM that brought you to the land of uh, the Wheel of Time, right? Theoretically, that place could have existed in the Umbra. Right. As a as a, a representation of a thought space, as we've discussed, exists before. Um, now, could you see the sun there? Because is the sun that you see in an umbral realm a representation of Helios? Probably, but maybe in a different context, so Helios doesn't burn you. That would be interesting. But also, could a vampire exist in an umbral realm like that? That's a question, too. Yeah, and there's questions of whether even an, um, whether you can get into the penumbra because it's like there's a, I don't think there's darkness inside like this it's not the concept of like night and day in the the penumbra it's just it just is it's uh, I, I don't there's there's no night there's no day there is just the penumbra um, so if you step out into it you might just immediately burst into flames because you're not being hidden from Helios anymore. Um, but uh, but I think I think the main thing though that I kind of take away is that I kind of I kind of lean more towards what if I'm going to truthfully be a storyteller and I would actually include something like that. I feel like I would actually lean a little bit more towards your way of thinking. And one of the main reasons, though, why I kind of, uh, you know, after talking about a lot of this, the one reason why I would jump ship over to your way of thinking is that it degrades the curse of Cain. Like, the curse of being, like, the whole thing about Vampire the Masquerade is you are a fucking vampire. You can't go out into the sun. You can't, uh, you have to drink blood. You... You can't resist the urge to drink blood sometimes and your beast takes over and you murder somebody. You are a monster. You have to play a monster in the modern times that's not that's trying not to be a monster if you're playing the, the humanity path, basically. Yeah. And that and, Although, and going to another world I, I would... negates that aspect of the game. But if you want to negate that aspect, that's the way to do it. I would be interested to hear if anybody's done the, you know, the, 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 an actual like vampire goes to another planet and could go out in the sun. Um, but that brings up the concept that if you could get to another planet and the rules were different, what if, what if Golconda is a place and not a state of being? That's an interesting, that's an interesting concept. I like that. Where they're like, yeah, no, if you can achieve Golconda and, and like these, these 
spirits are just sitting up there and they look back every once in a while and they're like, oh man, did they misunderstand me? I <laughs> I totally thought I I totally thought I was clear when I said Golconda was a place you can go to. Oh man. <laughs> they keep they keep trying to like meditate and shit. Oh man. All right. Yeah. I think uh, I think we've kind of covered quite a bit here. Um, we'll probably do more episodes on on Vampire the Masquerade that'll get deeper into specifics. But uh, I think this is a good little general overview with some crazy philosophical talk at the end here. That actually, I think I've come over to your side more um, in the end <laughs> here. And uh, we always do. Oh, oh. I think we might have evidence of that so far. I think I've come Because I do my research. Look at all my books. <laughs> I love buying books. All right. So is there anything, uh, if there's anything from the uh, viewers, if you have any questions before we wrap it up here, or is there any uh, anything that you have left to talk about, uh, Mike, that you want to get off your chest? Any, any woe stories? No. No. <laughs> no just... Uh... I, I enjoy it more than anything the the debates about how it would work. So I guess one one fun. of my questions is as a GM um, specifically independent from um, you know what we are kind of doing now. But if if you kind of took like a a campaign setting for the world of darkness and you included vampires in them, would you prescribe to a more technocratic? Uh, point of view on them or would you prescribe to the more book of nod judeo-christian origin stories for them or would you make them into some kind of like parasite or i would definitely go with the ideological it's it's their their curse is not a physical thing it's not a virus or uh genetics or anything it is all spirit-based that's how I would do it. So you would do it more werewolf kind of point of view. Yeah. Because cool. like you you can't fight a virus, but you can you can go fight Helios. <laughs> be like, I don't want to be cursed anymore, jerk. Stop it. So would you say though that uh, so you wouldn't say like angels actually, came down and cursed him? You would say like Helios cursed him and that. Um... Maybe Gaia. Uh, I would actually, and... I would say that the angels in the story would most likely be um, incarnate of Helios. Okay. Yep. And if if Helios isn't uh, the Father above, which is the One, which is Yahweh, if that if Helios isn't that, he is at least allied with that entity, uh, and so it's. Because what is the story? It's uh, Abel burns animals, and God is like, fuck yeah. And Cain burns some plants, and he's like, ugh, that stinks. And so the next time he asks, asks for a sacrifice, he's like, bring me your best, the, bring me the thing you love the most. Abel brings some more animals and burns them, and God's like, fuck yeah, that's really great. And then he, he's like, Cain, you didn't bring anything. He's like, yeah, I did. And he kills his brother. And he's like, this is the thing that I love the most. And then God's like, you fucking misunderstood me. 
and you're cursed forever. And then he sends a, you know, a, a, one of his, an aspect of him down. And he's like, Hey, you can, you can come back. You just have to like say that God was right. And he's like, no. And he does that four more times. And God keeps cursing him. Right. It's, like, it's all ideological. It's all philosophical. And then if you can, if you can keep it in those terms and then give those ideological and philosophical things, physical forms that you can interact with like yeah do that don't don't go the technocratic route where like some guy is like oh vampires are just a, a virus here's the cure and uh oh <laughs> uh, and there's this is the spirit factor and you know, we measured it it's like that's not that's not fun storytelling unless it's in a movie movies can be fun like that yeah, one shot. I could see a one shot World of Darkness game where you like flip vampire on its head and like like completely disprove the entire uh you know Kane theory basically and it's like no, like yeah, I mean oh. there's a bunch of origin vampires actually, but you're just this one strain like in you know <laughs> you're just a virus that we've tracked it all the way down and you originated here and this is what happened. It was a interaction with a worm spirit and a human and <laughs> Yeah. Actually okay, so just just wrapping it up with this one last question for you, because you're running the game, Technogate. Let's say because we're we're technocrats. Let's say we find a vampire. Maybe uh, really high generation, so they're fucking weak. And he's like, I don't want to be a vampire anymore. Could we use technocratic magic to extract his human DNA, clone a human body, create a human mind, like use mind magic to transfer the mind, and essentially like make a new version of that person that's not a vampire? Um, I would say you'd be able to do everything all the way up to the point of moving the soul. Yeah, because so, it's the soul, it's the spirit. Yeah, so there's, there's a, there is going to be a connection, uh, kind of like a fetter almost, of your body being uh, a fetter that you can't leave. Um, you're, you're almost like a wraith that's kind of stuck. So you could do all that. You could basically duplicate the person. You could even move it, maybe even move their mind, because you can... Uh, um, you might you might even be able to move the soul and the reason why i say that um i mean it's mage you can do anything i'm gonna say it's mage you can do anything but um the one of the main things that uh kind of points to some of the stuff you might use is um auspex gives you the ability to do an out-of-body experience and as well as to inhabit somebody else's body and if your body gets destroyed that's okay like you're I mean, not okay. You've, you've lost your body now, but you're not necessarily you're not your soul's not destroyed because your soul has left your body and allows you. So vampires have the ability to leave their body with their soul um, and inhabit humans and stuff like that. Um, so to abandon a lot of the curse, you could get away with um, now. Whether there's repercussions for breaking the rules, whether Helios has other ways or you know Yahweh or whatever the fuck is that's you know cursed these things is there other things that it can do now that you're not tied to your body is it you know some of the questions or are you going to degrade slowly because you don't have that connection anymore um there's a lot of questions on that but there's a lot of 
examples of people doing stuff like this actually, which is Cappadocia, or not Cap, uh, Cappadocia, but uh, um, Salubri when Tremere diablerized him. You know, he took over Tremere's body. Now he didn't transfer from a human or from a vampire to a human. He transferred from a vampire to a vampire. But you still, with Auspex, you have the ability to jump into a human body. Um, I, I don't know how long term that is though i feel like you lose a lot of your immortality at that point yeah um so awesome well i think that's a good little uh wrap up here um uh, so this is uh frozen fallout signing off i guess this is moto rory saying good night all right have a good one everyone and hope to uh see you around <laughs>